This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by another One Heat Minute production. It Came From The Deep. It Came From The Deep is the latest show from Maria Lewis, author and host of Josie and the Podcasts, and myself, Blake Howard. We are hosting a narrative podcast, an audio book of Maria's incredible book, It Came From The Deep, and an audio book after show where we take apart every chapter as it happens and break them all apart, break it down, inspirations, craft, uh, uh, everything about the sort of the town that it was based on and where it was based, which is the Gold Coast in Queensland of Australia where the story is set. Um, and we haven't yet, but we will definitely be diving in to some Murrish people there along the way. It is not in the One Hit Minute Productions feed, just the trailer is. So if you search for It Came From The Deep in any podcast app, you will find it. Have a listen if you love your mer friends, because mermen, they love to. Why has the White House blocked the CDC from contact tracing this super spreader event? Maybe it's because the White House already knows who is patient zero. Why won't you wear a mask? Is it because the president would be disappointed in you if you don't wear a mask? I feel that it's safe for me not to be wearing a mask and I'm in compliance with CDC guidelines, which are recommended but not required. Talk about your contacts with the president, what precautions you took. Oh, no one was wearing masks in the room um, when we were prepping the president during that period of time. It is being contained. And do you not think it's being contained? Late today, we learned that Stephen Miller, senior advisor to the president, has also tested positive. You spent a lot of time at the White House. Do you think there's a hole in the system there now? I don't. As the CDC continue to study the spread of COVID-19, they're recommending that people wear cloth face coverings in public settings where social distancing measures can be difficult to maintain. President Trump just tweeted moments ago that he and the First Lady have tested positive for the coronavirus. I know there's a risk, there's a danger, but that's okay. And now I'm better and maybe I'm immune, I don't know. They are lying to you every day. If Donald Trump can't protect himself or his staff, how can he possibly protect America? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. It is a full 90 one episodes since I've spoken to this man. And that's not like three years of podcast. That's this year. Oh my goodness. The last time we joined this absolutely terrific editor and editorial consultant and uh, former professional hockey player and all round just really movie Twitter, film Twitter, just like positivity, film gushy, loving legend that I'm talking to today um, was in the Library of Congress scene. And there's not too many people that in this entire series of all the president's minutes that I've allowed to, to pick a minute. And this guy is someone who I was like, I desperately want you to come back on the show. And I desperately want you to, instead of me prescribing minutes, consistently what seems to happen with everyone on the show. I'm like, 
you've, you've played this game before. You're an alum of our show. You picked a minute you want to talk about. So it's with my great pleasure that I welcome back the awesome Vashi Nianomansky to all the President's Minutes. Mate, thank you so much for coming back. To Blake, thank you again. This is like my third or fourth time, and I had no idea that you had signed minutes. I felt honored. I was like, oh, you were like, what minute? I'm like, oh, I got like three or four minutes. How about this or that or that? And I had no idea. I thought I'd feel like an a-hole for calling out stuff. You're not an a-hole. As we're recording this, so just a little bit inside baseball, as we're recording this, the just now the 90th episode of All the President's minutes has dropped so you guys are going to be hearing this like a couple of weeks after that we recorded and you know there's now really only like 40 ish episodes of the show to go um so uh, it, it was really important to me um to, to some of some of those key repeat guests such as yourself that i wanted them to be able to come back and i wanted them to be able to get a chance to talk about what they want to talk about coming up on the show but it's yeah it's been a, it's been a it's been a ride this time um unlike one heat minute which you know two episodes a week is a different animal to you know three and four episodes a week um because you just have a little bit more time you do a little bit more long lead the show has a bit more time to momentum but you know this show is a 2020 show um in my mind now it's like it's it's it's, it's gonna it's gonna be a time capsule that runs the full gamut from when Australia was on fire at the, at the very beginnings of the year, the very beginnings of the show recording in my office studio where I am right now in my garage. Um, like, you know, when the smoke was outside and it was like 40 degrees and all the way through a COVID pandemic and six months of lockdown and not leaving this goddamn house and this office becoming my <laughs> life, like the epicenter of my life in more ways than one. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's now <laughs> So glad to chip in and help out. And also, your show could be like the only positive takeaway for 2020. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Look, it's it is it is getting it is getting like that, my man. Look, um, it's it's what a oh, what a crazy time. What a crazy time. I'm so glad that you are safe and sound. Um, a little bit out of LA. We weren't like I'm in the desert. I'm in Palm Springs. I have a place in Joshua Tree, so I'm two hours away from the chaos and. If the zombies arrive or the nukes hit, then I'll have a little window to, uh, to escape and it'll last a little longer than most. Oh man, I'm so glad that you're safe. Uh, yeah, look in in Oz, we are in, in Oz. We're in a better position. We we have a smaller population, and B, you know, there's um we we have sort of tentatively opened, um, which is good in in some in some states and some states, you know, in in Oz have no. Uh, no new cases and only very very few active cases going around. So we're very lucky, but man, all around the world, just all over the place. Um, I think that whenever there's any complacency when it comes to this virus, like you just watch spikes happen and we've had it in one of our Southern States in Victoria, just crazy. It's just a crazy time. And then now all of the political craziness, you know, the president of the United States, you know, you're, you're, you're an essential refugee, um, from, from, um, Czechoslovakia when you defected. So, you know, like you come into the United States of America and would you have ever imagined that the United States president is asking people to attempt to commit mal fraud to prove that he should win the election? Like, no, it's like, like I grew up in a communist system and this is like 10 times worse because it's completely out in the open. Yes. And it's complete denial by, by certain people. We were like, oh no, it's, that's not really happening. And it's right in your face. So I guess, like they said, like the bigger the lie, the easier it is to swallow. So who knows? crazy time chaos chaos well we are way back in episode 90 so that people are hearing very close to this um i had a guest from our from and i know we've got a lot of mutual friends that write for the terrific independent film site Brightwall dark room the mm-hmm. Ke- kelsey ford is one of the writers there she was on the show and kelsey dubbed 
I think a key character in this minute, Hugh Sloan, played by Stephen Collins, Slippery Sloan. She said Sloan being slippery. Slippery, slippery. slippery. And I went, Slippery Sloan is probably the greatest nickname that I could give this character. And in this minute, the whole time I was rewatching and getting ready to talk to you, I was like, Slippery fucking Sloan, man. He <laughs> is just. They didn't ask the right question. Didn't I uh, look true. They didn't ask the right question, but this guy is, he, he's the first character all those 30 minutes ago for folks who have been following along every single episode. If this is your first episode, welcome. Thank you so much for listening. And, but all those 30 minutes ago, just as a quickly flashback, it was, there was something uneasy and there's a disquiet and in the structure of the, the perfectly edited blocked and just composed and, and then performed. Pakula bringing that out in him, like uh, Mr. Pakula, like bringing that performance out of Collins. It's all setting up that this guy knows that he absolutely could get in deep trouble. And he knows that all yep. the men around him have done gnarly things. And ultimately his wife threatened to leave him. So he actually had to have, have his arm twisted to leave the, you know, leave the organization of Creed. But right from that moment. And this movie doesn't do it in a, any kind of like a crass way, or I think or like too blustery, but man, they're perfectly burying the lead here that anything that this guy says is going to be questionable, you know? And so yeah, they yeah. think that all the fail safes are in order. All the fail safes should have happened by now, but right now we're rolling into the consequences of if someone reneges or backs out or backflips on something that they confidentially tell these guys, which I think is just such a powerful concept because it's, it's the usual quandary for the, you know, the journalism as cautionary tale movies that exist like shattered glass and things like that. Right. And back then, like, obviously they wanted the reporters want to get the right story out. Yeah. The reporter does. And you can't, I mean, more so now, now it's nothing but, you know, stories that are either unsubstantiated or God knows what created from where, but they're trying hard back then. They want to be accurate. They don't want to let down the post. They don't want to let down Ben Bradley. Like we're going to see what happens. And it's some of the best face acting ever. Like the, the stink eye that, that Ben Bradley is about to deliver is just horrific. I would not want to be on the receiving end of that ever. This is a, you know, um, the great Sidney Lumet says, uh, you know, ed, and, and you would, you live by this, but edits are a choice to create tension and to in a moment and a lack of edits also have their own alchemy to create tension. But this is a more heavily edited minute than some of the minutes that we've spoken about, because this movie has a very deliberate pace and the edits yes. are hard cuts to great faces, whether it's, mm. Bradley, whether you've got a great Hoffman uh, face, facial expression that closes out, you've got Redford and Hoffman in the same frame together. And then there's a, there's a chorus photo where it's like, here, no, yes. evil, see no evil, <laughs> speak no evil almost of, um, of Bradley, of Harry and Howard. And you've got Balsam and, um, and Robards as, as, as Bradley and Howard looking at the boys watching this, this news article in the, uh, the from the TV, with the exception of the first line that Robards delivers, everyone's just listening to the acting and the editing is sublime. It's, it was perfect. It was, uh, it makes you question like, who should I be looking at? You're listening to the story. Like, Oh my God, what's Ben Bradley think? You hard cut to him. And he's like, Oh shit. He's pissed. <laughs> Back to the boys. They, they look like little children, you know, you know, being reprimanded at the principal's office. So, we're already talking about the minute. We haven't even looked at it. Yet. We, we got. Let's look at it because it is absolutely sublime. It it's it it is for anyone who wants to know. Um, it is 
again, the 122nd minute. So when you go two hours and one minute on your dial, um, up to two hours and two minutes, if you're watching it on HBO Max or on Blu-ray or on, uh, um, or on VOD on iTunes or Apple or whatever, whatever it is, it should be identical. You're literally pulling up um, and we're going to just do a, like a quick cut between the White House getting the paper delivery, the White House itself, uh, and then into the newsroom. And uh, look, Vashi and I right now are going to watch it together. You guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and unpack it. And it's sublime. And one, one of my favorite movie editors and one of the great scholars of movie editing um, is going to help us unpack it when we come back. What's Jane? signed as campaign treasurer after the Watergate break-in, showed up for a deposition in the Common Cause suit on disclosure of campaign contributions and denied naming Haldeman. Mr. Stone, would you care to comment on testimony before the grand jury? I'd like my attorney to answer that question. Gentlemen, the answer is an unequivocal no. Mr. Sloan did not implicate Mr. Haldeman in that testimony it at is all. In, in his testimony, Thank Mr. Stone acknowledged there was an espionage fund. No, not at all. Did he mention any use of funds for espionage activity? None whatsoever. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Sloan expanded his denial to include his statements to the FBI and to all federal authorities. Slippery, slippery, slippery. Son of a gun. <laughs> Great. Oh my God. Great minute. Holy. Great minute. Holy. How about the seven actors that are on camera? I mean, rogues gallery, like murderers row of actors. Are you kidding me? Jesus. Wow. Jack Warden, Martin Balsam, Jason Robards, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman. Like, and then Collins. Um, and, 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 and then he, Collins. And his lawyer, wasn't that the guy from Poltergeist who yes. sold. <laughs> Sold the plots and moved it, you know, bought the lands, and, but didn't move the bodies. Yes, he's, so, he's, his lawyer's name, the actor, um, it, it's just in the credits as Hugh Sloan's lawyer. His name is James Karen, and James right. Karen has been in. He was Mr. Teague in Poltergeist. He's in Mulholland Drive. Um, he's in Return of the Living Dead. He's, man, he has an absolute, he has an absolute stacked, stacked resume. And, and it goes for literally decades. So, um, yeah, 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 like, you know, He's, uh, oh my God, look at this. You know, he's it's literally, deep. It's, 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 it's deep. It's scary. I'm going to just get out. I'm going to get out of IMDb. Otherwise we're just going to get out of rabbit hole. But I, but I, but I love the, I love the deferral uh, mm -hmm. to, 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 to James Karen's character as the lawyer, but just, is there a better call and response shot almost in all of movie making? Because the restraint to have Woodstein right close, you see the, unbelievably, you know, sort of this great storytelling lines of Robard's face and he screams out Woodstein, everything stops. The whole newsroom stops. Like it's like time stops. And the sound the absolutely drops out completely. Yeah, and, yeah. This, and this camera stays static and just waits for these guys to come and watches everyone's faces go, oh, I am so glad that that's not me. I am so exactly. glad. <laughs> that's the point. And it is. I'm it so is. glad. It is the the principal principal calling the kids the students to the office the longest walk of shame from their desks off in the distance, everything drops out and then slowly you start hearing the click clack bringing it back up like everything goes back to normal, but one thing like we often talk about craft in this film especially and especially between you and me for this, 
I think one outstanding component that often gets neglected is the set design or the production design of films. It's taken for granted. A lot of people assume that these sets either are standing or that we just add some flower pots and some chairs and everything's great. Yes. Um, I'm sure you know, but this set was built completely from scratch. The entire Washington Post news floor, newsroom, it cost $450,000 back then to build that entire set. And they duplicated everything. They actually took photos of every desk that existed in the Washington Post. They rebuilt everything, including the knickknacks that people have on their desks. They brought trash from the actual Washington Post and put it in the set. Um, that level of detail, which goes, you know, slightly not unseen, but it's like visually it's such a beautiful room. The colors, you know, the act, the yellow chairs that that those uh, yellow chairs catch my eye every time. I love them. I love the. It's 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 like it's a it is a it's a time machine. Those chairs, they're amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, just living in that space, I always felt comfortable returning to the the newsroom because I knew there was going to be conversation. I knew there was going to be drama. And it looks so beautiful. It's just so striking. And later, those long dolly shots where they're running through the newsroom, they run like 300 feet. Like, it's just such an expansive place. And that, to me, was always super striking, above and beyond the acting of this moment. But you're right. The, the close-up of Ben Bradley, then the cut to the wide shot static, and let the little characters, small and distance, grow in the foreground as they enter to learn their fate. Beautiful, a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment, and to shout out, these are Oscar winners: George Jenkins and George Gaines. George Gaines is the set de uh, decoration, and George Jenkins is the production design. And uh, Mr. Pakula talks about George Jenkins and talks about the obsessives that he assembled for this movie. And he's like, George Jenkins yeah. is so obsessive that I, 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 he makes me better. And mm -hmm. so I think that that's what's really, really, really wonderful um, is that George Jenkins here is, is, you know, it, and, and as you said, um, a really, I almost call it like, it's so nakedly, uh, it's such a naked shot to do a pullback to a wide for the whole newsroom, because if you don't yeah. have it and if it doesn't look right, you are deeply exposed in that moment to mm -hmm. say, Oh, this doesn't look right. But to have the, the stones, not only the craft, but the stones to go, we're going to do a wide shot and I need no track. I need everything to look perfect. I need it all to look identical. I need to make sure that all the background actors and everyone and all the little active things that are happening around this newsroom, I need it all to look perfect and just sublime. And there you go. I just, that I can't get, I can't get enough of how not, not only the running shots, they impress the hell out of me. Um, but, but I think that when you just do a wide shot and people have to walk into frame, it's so great. And then the best thing ever, the best thing ever of Hoffman being the kid who usually knows they're in trouble about something goes, do you know what this is about? And he goes, Nope. Like, like Redford going, yeah, it's so to be one step behind to be one step behind, especially at your job and especially in a critical moment like this. Oh, bad feeling. And so, then when they get in the room, you would think in a normal movie at that point, Robards as Bradley would start yelling and cursing and beating them down. Everyone would just pile on. Instead, not a word said, and everyone just watches the TV. Information is shared. No one says a word. Unbelievable. You could have easily gone the other way, but Pakula. Do you think he would, he would never let that happen? No. What, what, exposition for the sake of telling people? No. no. It's, it's the, it's the absolute rote eighties buddy cop formulaic response is to him to take them in there and give them a dressing down. 
that amazing chorus and then their response it's it's like a call and response and there's no call like it's just that right. look howard can't even uh, sorry um Hen, uh, harry jack Warden's character can't even look at them can't even look up. yeah i can't look like, up yep. he's like he's been told he's vouched for them he's vouched exactly. for them so many times he's vouched for them and he's looking at the story he's like i can't look at you right now then the great in Howard's face, in Martin Balsam's brilliant face, um, he's looking at them with, with concern, with disappointment, and Bradley is staring with just pure, Dag- just daggers at them. And so there's these nuanced bits, you know, of, of these mentor figures in their, in their career and in their lives that have like helped them get this story and driven them to all the ends of the earth to get it where it's got to so far and make sure that they do all the due diligence to not have something like this happen. And it happened. Yeah. I had one time my worst editing experience in terms of trying to do the right thing and, and getting kicked in the dick was I was, I edited a documentary about PTSD. It was premiering at sun uh, South by Southwest. And the day before the director said, we need to burn another Blu-ray with one change. You know, I'm like, that's not a problem. I'll FedEx it. You'll have it tomorrow. So I had to hit the cutoff for FedEx. So the only time in my life I didn't QC the Blu-ray, I sent it to him and it wouldn't get past the menu to start the film. So he had, we had to show the, the previous like two days ago version without that one change the director wanted. And I've never felt professionally. I felt like I was the biggest idiot, jackass loser. Like I'm a professional. No, you're not. You fucked up. And the director called me and I'm like, I couldn't even, I could barely answer the phone. You know that feeling. I felt exactly how these guys felt. I dropped the ball and would never, it will never happen again. So I was, this, this seems especially painful for me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's painful for, for everyone. There's, you know, there's, uh, I've, I've, in parts of my day job, um, in, in corporate communications or in things like that, you send, you send something out, someone comes back and says, this is the version to send. And you go, yep, you sure? Yep. And sometimes there's a delay in the email communications. And then like literally two seconds after you've hit send to like thousands of people, they come back and go, no, we've got one more change. And you're like, it's gone. It's gone. And they're like, that's a, there's a mistake. And you're like, you just gave me the, like, I should have just held, I should have just held my breath. I should have just waited for yeah. minutes, walked away from my bed, got a coffee, whatever, just take a beat. And it happens all the time. It can happen. But what the tragedy of this, and this is actually what's so great about this moment is they, they're disappointed about how he's reneged it. They didn't ask the right question, but also this is where the guys actually have to, and it's great. And it starts with Hoffman's inquisition at the end is like, they actually do, take it on the chin and take that soul searching moment and go, what the hell happened? How did, right. how did this go wrong? And, and especially for Hoffman, because he's the one that's priding himself. I've been here so long. I know how everything works. He's always one step ahead. He's creeping outside the office to get a story scoop. He's trying to pick up a new story. So it, it hurts him especially. And he doesn't pipe up. He doesn't start trying to explain himself like he does in other scenes. He just eats it and tries to figure out, like you said, what, what do we do now? What went wrong? How do we fix it? And it's the bottom of it. Can I also say a really small detail? This is like for triviality, but I think you and I probably get off on it too, is <clears throat> there's nothing more that I hate of the laziness of just inserting someone into archival photography. I actually really like that they had to redo it. 
Like they actually had to get people to pretend to be reporters to yep. say the lines that were in original archive of photography and redo it with these new actors performing the roles of the people who were in that archive of photography originally. I just love that. It's a small detail. It's probably a, a couple of hour shoot, maybe three or four takes. Yep. And it's just one little assembly. It's just finding a shop front. It's not going to be hard for your, your you know, your, your production designers or your, or your, um, your set decorators to find something, your location scouts and all that. You just find a, a crappy shop front that just ma- like does enough to match and you shoot it. And, and what it does is it makes it seamless in the rest of the movie with all of the other archival footage. Cause you're just shooting it on, you know, old, old school TV. You're shooting at CRT TVs. Yeah. And I, what I love about that is, is that the only shot that was recreated because obviously all the other stuff is archival and it's, it's seamless, but this doesn't jump out. Like I wasn't expecting, I was happy to see Sloan like outside of the house I was happy to see like what's going to happen and what the explanation was. If it was the real people in archival, I don't think it would have had the same impact. No. And, and it's, and it allows you, and I think that this is like with all the other archival footage, if you go to the archival footage of Sloan, it, it, it complete, it doesn't allow you to have a silent scene. What happens mm-hmm. is Bradley has to talk. You see Sloan here so that we all go, Oh, that's Sloan, the real Sloan. It's just distracting. It's completely distracting because, you know, as a storytelling device, in my mind, it's, it's completely distracting because it takes out of it. But I think, I think just that recreation of a, of a piece of archival footage here allows them to say nothing and, and this scene to speak so loudly. Like, it's essentially like a couple of Yeah, I mean, that, that insert, which again, is a simple thing to create and shoot. It just, it carries the, this moment through and allows the actors in the room to express themselves and emote without words because it's doing the heavy lifting and that's that's written in like it's in the script it's all right there and it's it's just beautiful it's a really beautiful moment yeah it's it's and this is our worst nightmare you know if we're watching this movie this is our worst nightmare in this movie you know obviously so many people have seen this movie so many people have heard about this movie so many movies have been influenced by it and the history that bookends it speaks for itself. And I think the filmmakers are so great at being able to sort of um, just take you in on what these guys did, but this is their worst nightmare for each of those guys as individuals is for someone to go back or for some part of their reporting to not hit the standard, that Bradley standard that they've been knocking it out of the park. And, you know, even as, as, as soon as like, you know, sort of circa, um, you know, 20 minutes ago, um, 30 minutes ago, there's the, you know, the great scene where, um, Hoffman hears about, you know, uh, Kay Graham getting a titty stuck in a, you know, titty stuck in a in ring the or whatever. It, 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 and, yeah. and, um, and, um, and, and all those things where Bradley's like, this is great, you know, run this baby. Like this is, this is the stuff. Um, so they've had all of these positive things and this movie just has the great thing of like, I don't know whether it's for us or we're gluttons for punishment, which has a great way of going. You're not quite there. You've still got more work to do. You're not quite there. This is that's, that's the beauty of dramatic filmmaking. When you have setbacks, you have to have setbacks. It's every film. Like you think about Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Indiana Jones basically accomplishes nothing in the whole film. Like literally doesn't do anything, but you never think about it that way. But those are all setbacks, setbacks, setbacks. And, and our favorite what? parts are when he's already had five setbacks in a row and then, and then the truck sequence happens. And he's like, what yeah. do you do? He's like, I don't know. I'm just making this up as I go along. Like there's nothing, there, there may not be a better line in all of movie history than that line. Like that's in the, that's in the pantheon of like, I don't know. I'm just making this up as I go along. Like, and he throws it away too. He throws the line away, which is great. 
side, it's like a side profile. He's almost not even, he's not even acknowledging there's a camera there. He's like, I don't know, make me up as I go. <laughs> and, love then, and, and then straight into the multiple setbacks of that, you know, that iconic action sequence. But that's what it is. It's like, we needed this setback to come. It couldn't just flow easily. Um, uh, because obviously then, you know, where we now- It'd be a lot shorter film. If Sloan yeah, just blew the whistle right there, there. <laughs> then you'd be almost done with the show. Yeah, if there was no such thing as a slippery slope, this show would have been over like 30 minutes ago. Um, and yeah, exactly. still, I've still got about 15 minutes to go. But no, I think this is the this is the one colossal setback that really propels us towards the end of this movie. And it's um, it's it's in these moments. And also it's then then the faith of these editors to say they're gonna stand by the guys. Which is coming that up. That was one of my favorite. Like when he writes it down, I'm like, oh my god, what did he write? What did he write? What did he write? It's just like one of those great things that, like, this is where you get it. Where they say, no, we know the story's right. We know the story's right. We've got we've got corroboration and sources, and we've then had validation about where we've gotten the story wrong. Like where we where we we were inarticulate about whether he said it at the grand jury, whether he was asked at the grand jury, um, which you know people will see later. But yeah, this this moment is a great setback moment, and I I just there are so many bits to love, but I, I almost can't get over the the chorus shot of Bradley staring yeah. daggers of Howard staring. I would print that and put it on my wall. Like, oh my like it's just in in your beautiful I frame, but in your beautiful like captures of like every single frame of this movie. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I'm just gonna go and see because I actually ha- I almost always have it open. Um, I just put up like the first 20 minutes, I think. I haven't gotten around to the rest of the film, but I will shortly. But while you look that up, I wanted to mention that, again, the setback. What really made this dangerous for everyone was that now the government's on the offensive. They caught them in a trick lie or a mistake. The the general public are now like, oh, see, I told you Watergate was nothing. They're just making up stuff now. It makes it so much. Stakes are raised much more than just the editors being pissed off. The, The country is now unknowing and and off kilter you know because of this and and it's that one thing that gets to call into question all of their reporting into this point um yep. that slippery slide moment where it's like everything that they've gone now it's all now it's all up up for grabs and then the urgency is you know we'll we'll, ju- we'll jump off the story that's what's you know that's that's the integrity that comes up with these guys and and this is you know really the business end of this film and really what is so meaningful for me is like you know if they feel like they're so passionate. They're so they've got such integrity and they've got such a work ethic. They're like, look, if we were wrong, if we're really like colossally wrong and we've impacted people's lives, careers, and we've done a disservice to the country, we will retire. We're out. We'll call it, we'll call it quits. But it just doesn't seem like there would ever be a moment in this world that that would happen because they feel like that, you know, in both of these, in, in, in this instance where they've kind of gotten this information, um, you know, uh, twisted from Slippery Sloan, um, then it's like, oh, no, there is something, it's still something here. Now people are just protecting themselves and they're just protecting themselves a little bit harder as we get, right. as the stakes get higher. Right. And to that point, like stepping outside of the room that we're in right now and going back out with journalists in general, like you think about this, this was the one of the last purely analog offices and analog times where it is typewriters, telephones, paper pen, you know, teletypes, you know, uh, CRT TVs, analog, everything is analog, analog, analog. 
how much information can you find today? Like the procedural films that we watch today, someone, you know, you jump on an, on an Apple, whatever, MacBook Pro, and you have the answer you want or the video you want or the audio you want in three seconds. So like storytelling changes currently, like how do you express these journeys and these procedural events that either detectives or, or you know, journalists have to go through. But I love the analog approach. I just love sitting there with those guys in the room. I love watching them write down. I love the inserts when Robert Rupert's writing stuff and then he's crossing things off and the sound of that, the pen on paper, exaggerated loudly. The first t uh, keyboard typing hits of the film that are canons. All that analog, it just gives it, uh, grounds it in this sort of realism. And you know that things are going to take longer than we expect now. And so it gives you that window, I think, to open up, not the editing, but the pacing. But once again, the pacing is on fire. It's so quick. There's no fat. And you've said that so many times. And we, every time I watch it, I'm like, I can't wait to watch it. I, I texted you at like three in the morning. The other day, I'm like, I put it on. I got to put it on. I can't help it. And I watched it. I loved every minute of it as if I'd never seen it before. And, and that's actually what I, what I say to folks when they're talking about these projects or they're talking about, I'm like, the movies that have attracted me to do this, I don't see a second that's wasted. And I can't say that. I can't say that for so many films. Like there are so many, like if you have the impulse to look at your watch and it must drive you insane as an editor, probably even more than someone like me. But it's like, if you have a moment where you're not engaged and it doesn't, and I'm not talking about like stillness, I'm not talking about slowness, uh, intentional slowness. I'm just talking about so many films that feel like they waste moments or they feel contrived or whatever. But this movie just moves. It was like, same as what we've talked about on Heat. Like I saw Heat on the big screen in Oz when, I was lucky enough in my in my town when uh, some of the COVID restrictions opened back up and cinemas opened back up. I saw Heat on the big screen again with a couple of my buddies, and oh. it, there's not a wasted minute. And I'm now doing another, you know, more than two and a half hour long movie, and it's like there's not a wasted minute. There's no wasted seconds. Like this scene has everything. It's got the yeah, yeah. White House never sleeping, and it turns this beacon of hope into this menacing, sleepless beast. And it's yeah, got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got Jason Robards Oscar winning face right there. Like two time Oscar winning face right there, screeching at these guys. One of the most seamlessly, you know, recreated inserts of um, archival footage into the movie and, and, you know, people allowing people to perform in those moments. And then just all this incredible like storm of reaction shots. Like, and this is just one minute of like 130 odd or 40 odd by the time we get to the end of this movie that we've discussed. And I just, yeah, that, this movie is almost impossible. If I didn't have to turn it off to talk to you guys about it, I would just, I could and would have it on a loop, especially. I, I often do, if I edit pay, I'll have it on a loop in the background. Um, I've talked to other editors that have it because again, there's not much music that it does. It's very subtle and it's emphasizing things. It's just the conversations, the sound, like, well, it sounds like you're in a newsroom, like 95% of the film. So maybe that, instigates you to work harder or work, continue working, you know, maybe it's that kind of oral stimulation that we sometimes need, but I agree with you. It's just, it's magical. And I, it's, that's why we're breaking it down. We're trying to express and, and share with other people what, why it means so much to us and how a uh, film from 1974, five, I can't remember now. Well, yeah, four, four. 75, it was filmed. I think it was released very early in 76, but yeah, it's, 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 it's but, but they, you know, they're literally making the Redford's talking to Woodward and Bernstein before they've written the book. Right. He was working on the candidate. He was shooting the candidate. Redford was, 
So he already had a taste for the political. I mean, he's had that for a while, but he was actually acting in it. And then he took the role and then obviously put on the corduroy and he was a brand new man. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The, the corduroy is a life changer, but the candidate again, well, I, I, that's another movie I've only watched very recently um, uh, for the, for this show. And that's just another great movie. Another terrific, <laughs> another terrific movie of, what I imagine is sort of like an artist rendition of the exact same experience that the current president of the United States had when he actually won, which is like, yeah. what, That's, what a great last slide. Do you remember the last slide? Like, yeah, it was, it was like, what do we do now? Like literally. That's the last line. What do we do now? Yeah. Uh, the, that, that scene where Redford's in the cab, if you see the candidate, watch the candidate. It's absolutely incredible viewing just to, to talk about the American political machine, to talk about, you know, candidates and, why people would do it and then to talk about when people are running up and and, like, and, and great fathers and sons moment. but what when there's a there's a moment where he kind of has a drink the kool-aid moment in his cab where he starts like spouting all the things that he's saying and it's kind of tormenting him that he's starting to like he's he's been twisted by all this optimism because he knows that it's all just false and his performance in that cab i just like that 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 gets me every time. Um, and, and it's absolutely a driver for like, you know, who are the people that are actually in power is probably a great yeah. question he had in his mind and then found this next, this next opportunity to engage with it on a much more direct, in a much more direct way than like, and on the biggest stakes possible in the presidency of the United States, because like people who get elected for local office and then uh, governors, they're the neck, their next step is up into this. And who are these people? And, and are and they, how, these how his timing, his timing to approach uh, the, the reporters and actually move forward on this and then to have this just develop in front of him yeah. and then to turn around so quick within like two years to have the film done. That's just mind boggling. And at that time, particularly mind boggling. And at the time when people would be sick of it, you know, I think, yeah. I think any of us at the moment, there's, um, I can't remember. It's a new TV series. It's like the Comey rule or something like that, where Jeff Daniels is playing Comey and then uh, Brendan Gleeson's playing Trump. It's like, I think it would be, it would be like something like that, like that's coming out and all of us who are watching those trailers or seeing it or, or hearing about it or reading news items on it, you kind of get this like cynicism of like, Oh, like what is like, what is this take going to be like, you know, it, it, this, right, is, right. This, this doesn't, feel like it's going to be an all the president's men or, or a social network or something like that. But you never know like what guys, the next, you know, definitive, um, you know, sort of docudrama um, is going yeah. to be, but, but, you know, I've just mentioned two that are around 40 years apart because that's the standard, like the, the, the level of the, the level of like filmmakers and actors and editors and the alchemy of the text and who's producing it. Like it, it takes time. You know, I think the big shorts, another one, which I absolutely adore. Um, um, that uh, came out fairly recently. Um, again, another movie that feels like it's born out of a love of all the president's men. Um, really terrific. But yeah, it's, it's really, really fascinating stuff. You know what? I was thinking about the post and I was thinking about like the interior of the same place and how it looks so different. It looks so archaic in the post. It looks like it's 15 years earlier. I mean, I know the, I know the story is over time, but it just looked like, not a set, but it just didn't, it looked like grandma's kitchen or something, you know? And then, you know, and in all the president's men, it looks futuristic. It looks like 2001, like the entire floor. And, and it, look, to be honest with you, you know, it feels more modern than some corporate 
places I've worked in my life. Like, you know, like you walk in, walk into an office building and it used to look exactly like that. And you're like, and you're like, Oh, all these damn corporate people looked at newsrooms and thought that open planning made sense. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> look at mad men. We all need offices. Get away from me. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a really, it's a really crazy thing. But mate, look, it's, I, I can't tell you how much, um, it is a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your support and, um, recommending things and, and being such a, um, a real, real champion of, um, movie loving and movie craft. Um, I love interacting with you online. I love even more uh, when we get to chat and, uh, just thank you so much for being a part of all the things that we do. Um, because your firsthand experience working with these huge filmmakers and, and, and the actual craft of editing, um, for me, you've given me a greater appreciation for something that I already appreciated, but I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of the show. And this will no, be the first time I get a chance to thank you on this show for being a part of this show. So thank you so much. Once again, it's my sincere pleasure. It, I, I heart, felt thank you because it's so important to me to share this stuff and I know how important it is to you and, and the platform you've created is just spectacular and I tell everyone about it and it's just super special I wanted to, can I just say one last thing I just read this Robert Redford quote the other day and I hadn't heard it before and he said they said what is all the president's men and he says and I'm sure you know it but a how done it about a who done it yes yes how done it about a who done it Look, he, he must, there's, there must be something in the air. Cause literally in the conversation I had yesterday to post, um, we were talking about this movie's great, how done it practices. And I think that he even greater synthesizes like, cause we were, we were debating on the show, um, you know, which is now is like 30 episodes back for other people listening. Is it a how done it? Is it a who done it? But I think that how done it about a who done it is absolutely perfect. And, and I think that, um, but, but with every, with with every new person, whenever, whenever we get to the how, people are implicated. Um, so there's, you know, as we get to the how, there's another state of impl implication. There's someone else being evasive, someone being slippery. Um, and setbacks. Setbacks, baby. Setbacks <laughs> with a big exclamation point. Vashti Nidamansky, thank you so much. Um, where can people find you? So um, uh, other than um, at Vashiku on Twitter. Vashiku at Twitter is where I'm at all the time, but my website is vashivisuals.com and I have my blog there where I post all my ramblings and thoughts and breakdowns. That's the easiest two places to, to try and interact or find out more about me. So, And you can also see his incredible, he's uh, got a, uh, every sort of 20 seconds of all the president's men. He's got a, a this gigantic collage picture he's got the heat breakdown <laughs> if if you are a movie and cinephile fan apart from just all of like this dedicated breakdowns like vashi's doing the lord's work on a couple of things which is creating showing you every shot from your favorite scenes ever and doing some analysis on shot lengths of your favorite directors so if you're a real film geek about like which films and how people are evolving and for another show on one hit minute productions increment vice talking about paul thomas anderson's evolution as a director and how he's changed his editing style and things like that to you know and, and how shot lengths reflect reflect that um Vashi literally does some research that's kind of nowhere else and uh, all people do it kind of in a bespoke way and then target it but and Vashi just does it you know as a vocation for all of us to enjoy so mate thank you so much for that can i hire you as my <laughs> <laughs> look I, I i don't understand when people are like oh what's the shot length so i go like i don't know i go straight to your blog it's in my favorites i just go there and i'm like i've oh, actually did this he's like yeah here's the breakdown i saved the picture i i dm it to someone i'm like yeah Vashi did a great breakdown of all of finch's films or all of 
Paul Thomas Anderson's. Like, if you want to check the shot lengths, because you know, I, it was really funny. I was listening to an episode of um, editing an episode actually of Increment Vice, and the guys were talking about shot lengths. And I, in the middle of editing the episode, I just opened up a window on my browser and I was checking it out on your site to, to hear to hear how. It Dude, you're too kind. I thank you for all that kindness. And I know you're going to get it back. And I'm so proud of you. And I can't wait to see what you do next. And I'll be there either listening or trying to get on for another minute or an hour next time on anything you want. That is my incredibly generous and lovely friend, Vashi Niedermansky. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Vashiku, which is V-A-S-H-I-K-O-O. Um, he usually links to some of the amazing stuff that he does, but I would recommend favoriting his website, VashiVisuals.com, which is V-A-S-H-I Visuals.com. Vashi is unbelievable uh, at sort of cataloging the incredible things that he's doing and shot lengths and just, you know, different technical stuff that kind of is nowhere else. And it's it's beautiful because if you are like me and you like listening to Vashi talk about his editorial style, he's just kind of got... I don't know. We've just got such close taste that uh, close taste, rather that it seems that it's perfect. Vashiku on Twitter, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of All the President's Minutes. We have so many great guests lined up in the run up to the completion of the show. Um, the 29th of November is the final date. The final episodes have been almost recorded. Can't wait to share them with you. One Blake minute is where you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at ATPM Pod for updates about the show exclusively and oneheatminute.com. Thank you so much. Please subscribe, rate, review, share everything we do. It really helps. We appreciate you.